Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Hi, this is Newt. 2020 is going to be one of the most extraordinary election years of our lifetime. I want to invite you to join my inner circle as we discuss each twist and turn in the race in my members-only Inner Circle Club. You will receive special flash briefings, online events, and members-only audio reports from me and my team. Here's a special offer to my podcast listeners. If you join the Inner Circle today at NewtCenterCircle.com and sign up for a one- or two-year membership, I'll send you a free, personally autographed copy of my book, Gettysburg, and a VIP Fast Pass to my live events. Join my inner circle today at newtsinnercircle.com. Use the code FREEBOOK at checkout. Sign up today at newtsinnercircle.com. Code FREEBOOK. This offer ends January 31st. On this episode of Newt's World, 5G technology. What is it and how will it change our lives? With 5G, the speed at which data travels is going to be dramatically faster. The data speeds will allow us to develop new devices that function with edge computing. It will allow for devices to communicate with one another as in the Internet of Things. And in the very near future, autonomous vehicles will be driving around smart cities. We are on the verge of a new and very different future. Because it's so important, I have decided to devote two episodes of Newt's World to 5G. In part one, we'll tell you what 5G is and how it is going to impact all of our lives. In part two, we'll cover the global race to develop and deploy 5G and the national security implications that loom over us at the United States. Both the government and private sector do not act quickly 
with clear public policy direction and significant investment. I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Terry Halverson, who is the Chief Information Officer and Executive Vice President of Information Technology and Mobile Communications at Samsung Electronics, and Major General Robert Wheeler, who spent 32 years in the U.S. military, most recently as the Deputy Department of Defense Chief Information Officer for C4 and IIC at the Pentagon. Terry, what is 5G technology? How is it different from 4G? What's happened in the 5G ecosystem is you've had a convergence of technology changes. The first is what we're talking about. It's the network. 5G networks can operate and move data at about one gig per second. That's much faster than the 4G networks. You're going to do that in latency. That's about seven milliseconds. Seven milliseconds is very close to real time. The third piece of this is data storage. So today we've got systems that you know, maybe can store a petabyte of data. Tomorrow, and I literally mean tomorrow, we'll be able to store a terabyte of data. That is an unbelievably large amount of data that you have in your hands at the edge. You know, you could put that in the hands of a soldier, a fireman, a doctor, whatever, and now they've got that ability to keep that kind of data. Samsung and other companies have come out with uh, new storage chips. So today we have Samsung has a three terabyte chip. You know, you put a couple of those together, you could now have, you know, multiple terabytes of data available on the edge in a vehicle, you know, in a small clinic, in a smart factory. All of that is really going to let us take advantage of much more data. Most data becomes the what we call digital waste. So today, of all the data that's collected, processed, and used, really only about 25% of that is high value because you can process it, get it to a decision maker in time to make a valuable or intelligent decision. Part of it is the humans just can't process all of that data that fast. So the other piece of this puzzle is AI, which you can make the A stand for artificial. You can make it stand for augmented. Pick your A. I happen to like augmented, don't like artificial, so we'll talk about augmented. What that's going to do is the computer and the learning network is going to actually be able to do analysis on big parts of the data, sort it, analyze it, and present the human decision maker Intelligence or information is usable data. It's information that is presented in a format that allows you to make a decision. We're going to be able to do that on a much broader scope of data and present it to the human using AI in a much better format, removing some of what I'll call the lower level intelligence tasks from a human having to do that to the machine doing it. AI today can learn, so it will get better and better at doing that. Now you've got the full piece, all the pieces solved. You've got the data speeds and latency being developed and delivered by a 5G network. You've got the ability to store data at the edge, which limits the amount of data you actually have to pass back to a central processing point. And you have AI, augmented intelligence, assisting the human in getting through and sorting all of that data. That's the revolution of the 5G ecosystem. That's what's really going to be powerful and is beginning to be fielded today. As far as networking, What does 5G look like versus the 4G cabled world we live in now? 
4G uses these big cell towers today, and they're big. They take up space. A lot of neighborhoods don't want them there. When 5G becomes ubiquitous, you won't see those towers anymore. Matter of fact, what you will probably see is nothing. Because the way the 5G is configured, you won't add stuff. 5G antenna and auxiliary unit can go right on a light pole that's already out there. You can go right on your power light poles, you know, the light streets. You can put the 5G CPE right in a window. It'll be a whole lot less visible to consumers as the 5G rolls out. The 5G, let's say a 5G inside antenna is probably, or the one that would go outside your house, is about the size of a 8 to 10 inch tablet. The AU is, I don't have a good visual to say it's this big or that big, but it's maybe two foot high by about 12 inches wide. I mean, it's small. It'll fit, like I said, one person can install these systems. You don't need to. You just, it comes with a mounting, you slide it on the pole, you're done. I mean, it really is easy to put in. You'll be able to rapidly put these systems in place too. The other thing 5G won't need as much of is cable. Why is 5G referred to as the next industrial revolution? What we had before, you know, the the first industrial revolution was really taking and was a process-based revolution. We took the processes of, you know, individual craftsmen and making individual products. You know, you had the carriage made, you know, individually crafted for people. You had you know, even cars initially came out, and it was a very laborious process. It was individually made. The cars were distinctive. That first revolution said, well, you know what? Let's, let's change that process. How do you massively manufacture? Well, you standardize process, and you put out, you know, things like the Model T, which all look the same. You know, you could have it painted, I think, in two colors when it first came out. So that was the kind of the, the big industrial revolution. Then we had this revolution, I would say, that, be, that started with the beginning to use of technology in this to get the machines to do even more things for us. This fourth industrial revolution is really about bringing all of that together with massive amounts of data, AI, smart factories, which mean now you will have robots doing more of those tasks. You will have machines doing, you know, more things and doing them effectively. So I don't know if you, in coming into our office, you noticed we have the two robot vacuums vacuuming up the Samsung office space here. You know, two or three years ago, they had those. They weren't really good at vacuuming. They missed us. Today, they're really, really good. They get into all the other spaces. They do it. They replace, you know, people from having to do those tasks. Then the second people is, well, what will happen with people? Will they be out of jobs and will there be negative impacts? I think I'd be foolish to say there won't be some initial negative impacts. This will replace some jobs. But what I think is going to happen at a fast rate, it's going to create new jobs. Are we right to imagine the job market will be transformed both in the United States and globally as a result of 5G? Uh, we can say it that way. It's going to transform the job market, I think. But there will be a couple hiccups. You know, that's going to happen. But the opportunities as we transform and create new jobs for people and let people have access to much more information to be able to design things on their own, to be able to do different things that will add value to the nation as a whole or to the globe as a whole and increase, I think, their own personal value as this moves forward. I'm very optimistic about the, the future and what it means. I don't see a future where, you know, people won't work and the machines will do everything. 
I see a future where people will be able to work on higher levels of things. The machines will take the some of the tasks, the, the mundane things. The and, and actually, in some ways, this is going to make everyday lives better. As we move into this 5G world, we often hear references to IoT, the Internet of Things. And we're just beginning to experience a world where data is shared, for example, between your phone, your smartwatch, your computer, even your refrigerator. But as we move towards this future of sharing large amounts of data quickly, it's going to allow for objects to share data and communicate with one another at a very rapid speed. What impact will this have on the consumer? So when you talk about what will be valuable you to the consumer, there are some things I think that people will, will easily see, that, and you can argue about their value. But yes, your smart refrigerator will not only know when you're out of eggs, it will anticipate that and tell you when to order. And you could even probably set up your refrigerator that says, just go ahead and make that order for me. I mean, I think you will see there will be a, an ease of decision-making, ease of life on, on what I'll call minor matters. that They'll just happen. But I think what else you will see for the consumer, again, is the some of the results. It's going to boy a while before we have fully autonomous cars. You've got to have a full-up 5G network, and we've got to solve some legal problems. Of course, we understand that autonomous vehicles or self-driving cars already exist. However, there have been some mistakes made where people have been harmed, even killed, by self-driving vehicles. How is 5G going to change our experience with autonomous vehicles? I think you will begin to see highways equipped with enough 5G to be able to begin to do semi-autonomous cars, where the sensors in the cars will really get good enough to help you drive. And here's why. So on a 4G network today, you can probably control the car in a couple meters of space. That's really not good enough to be able to manage cars safely. On a 5G network, you could control that within a centimeter. So you're going to be able to give the driver on a 5G network warnings that are really, really good. Or not just warnings. You're going to be able to anticipate traffic ahead, traffic behind, what's on the left and right. Here's a congested point. Do this with a high degree of accuracy. So I think consumers will start benefiting by seeing 5G start entering their lives in bigger ways. What's the timing on all this? How soon do you expect this to happen? I think what you will see is in four years, you will have much safer cars. I mean, I think about today. My car today has front-looking radar, side-looking radar, tells me how close I am in front, how close I am in back, has a camera, has side warning. All of that integrated in a network that can now put the decision to a display on me or make the decision. I mean, today my steering wheel will vibrate if I get out of the lane. You think about we've already made them safer. You think about taking that to the next level. It really does make, I think, and it will make a little more pleasurable experience for drivers. But it's going to reduce the number of vehicles we need on the road to get things done. I think it, that in itself is going to have a huge impact on climate. With autonomous cars, will you be able to pick the car you want? Will owning a car be a thing of the past? You subscribe to a car service that says, today you get up and you need the SUV. And you use that maybe because you got practice your night's week. But let's then say Friday night, you've decided, you know, spent all week with the kids. Now... You know, your significant other, you want to go out for a nice Friday night. You say, you know what? It's a beautiful night. I'd like to go out in the Audi convertible. 
So you order the Audi convertible, and it shows up at the door. You know, comes up, boom, here's your Audi convertible, and you drive your Audi convertible. Or Saturday morning, you're doing the, oh, God, we got to go fix something in the back of the house. We need to go get the parts. I need a truck. So you order the truck. That's coming. That is coming, where you will pick the car you want. One of the things that we know from studies, one of the things you get the least amount of ROI on in terms of usage versus cost is a car because it, you drive it to work, sets there. The other thing we know is that there's all these cars parked and there's all these cars on the road, all these things moving. If we were better managing this, you could have enough cars in D.C. You could reduce the amount of cars in D.C. by about 20, 25 percent and still have enough cars for everybody to do what they want. You know, emergencies come up, everything. And you could manage those so that the reductions in the traffic would be huge. You put time back to the consumer. I think you're going to see car-on-demand services in the next three to four years. What about the future of wearables? What will wearables be able to do in a 5G world? Here's Major General Robert Wheeler. One of the big areas that we're talking about for the future in 5G and the Internet of Things is all the censoring they're going to be able to do of wearables. So part of this set of sensors is not just going to be your cell phone, per se, but it's wearables. You know, today you see the beginnings of this in smartwatches, okay, and, you're, and, and you see heart rate and active watches that are in there so you can manage it. So, for example, I wear a, a specific kind of an active watch because I'm a runner. So what I see today across the board is, is a quick capability to be able to see my heart rate, how well I sleep tonight. It's basic. The way they're putting these sensors together for the future, you're going to be able to do heart rate, but also completely have your blood pressure from the time you wake up to the time you do not, and be able to graphically show that on a daily basis and show trends across the board. And any trends that are not going correct would contact your doctor without you even having a piece into it. Say, hey, I contacted your doctor. Your heart rates have been elevated the last week. They need to take a look at it because it's hit some parameters that were set in that particular aspect. In fact, the latest active watches between both Samsung and I'm seeing and Apple, both are working on this heart rate, this basic capability beyond just doing the heartbeats, but seeing any kind of patterns of problematic heart, whether it's almost a EKG or whether it's blood pressure. They're working on both of those for the set of sensors out there. So that part of the medical piece is huge. Being able to do all of that particular work and having real-time speeds of capability, that I think is a big deal for doing the medical aspect of it. Let's talk about healthcare. Thinking about how our health may be improved or our lives may be saved by this new technology is really incredible. Terry Halverson explains. The fastest growing type of data in the world is medical data. And one of the hardest things today is to move even in hospitals, and certainly when you try to leave the hospital and move it to your local doctor, medical imagery files are really, really big. They take a long time to download. With 5G, that becomes a much shorter process, and I think you'll see doctors able to take imagery and move it to a surgeon and operate in real time. So I think that may be the first place the consumers see it on a major scale is in, in, in hospitals. Let's say you're in a very small town somewhere in the middle of America, and you have a disease or some injury that really your chances of surviving get much better if you could have the one or two doctors that have done the most. They're the best at that. Well, today, you're going to be able to capture that, link that, and assist your doctor in that, have surgical assistance from like the best doctor in the world 
without having to have him online, you're going to be able to review exactly what he did in that surgery. So you could be in the operating room and you're there and maybe you see something that was a little different than you planned. You're going to be able to call up and look and say, okay, here's how Dr. A, who is the best at this type of surgery in the world, did this. Here's how he dealt with this problem. When we come back, we'll look at the many facets of our lives that will be changed by 5G. Studying this, I'm amazed at how many facets of our life will be changed as a result of 5G. How we live, where and how we work, how we consume entertainment, how we're educated, all of life will be transformed. How will entertainment change? From an entertainment standpoint, you are going to be able to carry and take and download your entertainment you know, with you wherever you want. You know, a little tiny chip processor, terabyte of movies in your phone. Those things will happen. On a more global scale, though, what is going to happen, the places that have great 5G are going to be the places that draw the innovators. Because you can now get so much compute power and get it quickly because you can link all these computers, the innovators who are coming up with the things that we just haven't even thought about yet are going to want to be in those environments. So the places that have 5G and have good connection are going to immediately benefit economically because that's where the innovators are going to be. That is going to be one of the single biggest economic forces in the coming years. Where are those innovators? How do they not just use 5G to develop the innovation, but then how do they deploy or you know sell, market that innovation over a network that will have wide range, immediate speeds, all the things we've talked about? So I think that's going to be another way that consumers will see or feel the impact of 5G. What about sports? We're already seeing major advancements. The cameras, I mean, now you have 360-degree, very high-resolution cameras sitting in many of the new sports arenas, which can actually beam you know, to your home TV in real time, no latency, and you do feel like you're right at the game. And even if you're at the stadium, some of the stadiums today have those, and you can look up on the screen, and what you're seeing on the screen is in some ways better than what you saw on the court. It never quite replaces the courtside experience, but it can do the analytics, and you can see every player, how they're positioned. If you're a sports nut, this is a really, really great movement forward. Will the lecture hall at a brick-and-mortar college be a thing of the past? How is 5G going to transform education? Here's what I think is going to happen, and I'm going to use a a personal experience because this is when it became really clear to me where we were headed. It was a while back. So I have two sons. My youngest son was about 14 at the time, and I, I happened to stick my head in his room, and he had a headset on one ear, which he had pulled the one ear back. So he was listening to one thing on one ear, Another thing on another ear, he had his desktop system back up then with some homework on the screen that he was collaborating with other people. He had a kind of laptop with a game going on and was paying attention to something that was actually on the television. My first reaction was to go in and say, what are you doing? You can't focus. You can't get anything done. Don't know why I didn't do that. My wife was a little surprised I didn't do that either. I didn't yell. So I, I kind of walked out of the room, 
went back and, and, and I remember my wife and I talking about that. And I said, you know, that bothered me. But then I, I said, you know what? Performance is the measure. He, he's getting, you know, he, that time he had six A's, one B. I can't really complain about that. So later that night, I talked to him. About, I asked him. I said, he said, Dad, it's just I, I, I can take all those inputs. And he said, you know, I get more from listening to the book than you do from reading. And I can multitask and I can collaborate. That's just what I do. And I think that is what, what, what exactly is happening. We're seeing the younger generation growing up in that environment. I didn't. You know, I, I still get most of my data from reading and they don't. This type of new technology is going to allow different types of learning, more real live learning. Certainly as you get into higher levels of learning, I think you're going to see where you will not have to have people as physically co-located. Though I will caution that in the end, some of the physical co-location dialogue, you won't still be able to replace that. But I think you'll be able to reach wider sets of audiences that then may be mentored by different professors as they come together across the connected college campus. And when I mean a connected college campus, that's a college campus connected across you know, the U.S. I think that kind of thing, I think, is coming. What about how we work? Will we work differently than we do now? I think the standard office environment will be whatever you want it to be. I don't think you'll have a standard office environment. I think that's the beauty of all this. You want your office to be at home on a visual screen and you can get your mission work done, you're going to be able to do that. If you want to come in and be in a collaborative surrounding where you can share and easily do things, you're going to be able to do that. One of the things that we concentrated really, really hard in this building, in this office space here, was we wanted it to be reconfigurable for the person and for our office staff. I think that is the wave of the future. You will reconfigure to what you want for that mission, for that day, for that particular customer. This is the beauty, I think, of what we're coming We're going to be able to reconfigure and do things in environments that are really tailored to what I want to get done or tailored to help me be in a, a mood that helps me get things done. That's a really exciting part to me, that you're going to be able to do things without having to have the formal structures of an office. Another great impact of 5G is going to be to rural America. The spotty cell phone service and satellite dishes on roofs will be a thing of the past. Major General Wheeler explains. So now they're using these 4G LTE-type connections to be their basic Internet. When you go to 5G, though, that changes it overnight. Because remember, as we talked in the beginning, that 72 megabytes in your pocket now exceeds one gigabyte. So it's faster than any fiber piece. And when you start to look at 5G and what it brings, there's not a need to dig up fiber and put that in the ground anymore. So that whole fiber aspect, that whole backhaul that was so costly in rural areas goes away. So now what you're basically doing, in essence, you're blanketing the rural area with Wi-Fi. So wherever that person is, whether he's in his field, you know, working his stuff, whether he's in the doctor's office or whether he's in the school in the rural areas, he has now uh, speeds that he wouldn't even have in his house in a big city today. And so that capability now for education opportunities to change dramatically and how we do business, whether it's going to college remotely 
or whether it's to do some kind of uh, extra education from a farming perspective or whether it's the factories that are out in that area. All of this can be done remotely without any problems whatsoever, any losses in capability, and it can be done in a way that's cost-effective. So you have that particular aspect. I think another extraordinary impact 5G may have is on farming and agricultural production. Major General Wheeler, can you explain that? I think in the farming aspects, the traditional way that we use our rural areas, when you combine the ability of GPS and the John Deere's of the world to allow precision agriculture with the 5G sensor capability and that ability be done in real time, I mean, there's plenty of numbers that show where precision agriculture runs, you know, uh, high 40% increases in the ability of us to get product out of farming. Well, they're looking at 5G sensors to up that potentially another 20%. And this is not GMO. It's not a genetically modified particular opposite. It's actually whatever seeds you put in the ground there, just by virtue of how you are so meticulous and so accurate in the applications of fertilizers and any kind of pesticides that are necessary and any kind of water, that you can actually minimize the use of all those and get the maximizing of the crop. When we come back, we'll look at another side of 5G, privacy. So far, we painted a pretty rosy world of how 5G is going to improve our lives. Now let's look at some of the dangers of 5G. One of the biggest questions a lot of people have been asking is about privacy. In a world of big data, how do we protect our privacy? Here's Major General Robert Wheeler. I think privacy is a big... The Americans, depending on whether you're in California or the rest of the U.S., are very pro-privacy. So having the level of security that's necessary to protect the data that you have, whether it's your medical data, whether it's the vehicles, because you don't want somebody doing a cyber attack and causing a massive car accident on a highway or something of that nature, you have to have that burned into the system. So that has to be built in. That's a big difference in the way the Western thought process is for networks and how we're thinking about that, especially within the government arena, than the Huawei product is going to be. So that aspect to it is one very important point. Done correctly, though, you can really add, and there's examples that are already out there that exist today. This isn't tomorrow or the next month. Uh, This is today that really do protect at a level that goes beyond even what Europe is asking or the U.S. to protect your individual privacy as an American, as a European, as a Westerner. One of the issues we face as a nation is hacking. Networks are hacked. Systems are hacked. Emails are hacked. How will this wireless 5G environment be able to prevent hacking? Here's Terry Halverson. I mean, one of the things you eliminate with the wireless network is it's really hard for me to clip cables onto the wireless network and listen to what you're doing. And you can use all of the techniques plus some more that you use to secure a wired network you can use on a wireless network. It will be more about the sensors that are on the network and the construction and architecture of your network that will be your security. From a security standpoint, 5G has the potential, if architected right and using the right sensors, to be a more secure network than any 4G network. One of the simple reasons for that is in 4G and in 5G, you pay what we call a bandwidth tax for enhancing your security. So if you have a 4G system that's, say, running 100 megabits per second, and you've got to spend 20 to 25 megabits per second 
to fully have all the security sensors in there, that's a tax you don't want to pay because now you're down to 75 you know, megabits per second of speed for what your system. If I have a 5G network that's running at one gig per second and I take 25 gigs per second of that for security, you don't notice that. Plus the fact that I have such low latency, I can process that security data in near real time and make on-the-fly security improvements to your network. You can't do that with a 4G system. Will you also discuss the move towards biometrics as a new way of securing our data? Take the term biometrics and really just say no to passwords. Passwords are one of the most least secure things you can do to secure your system. You have to use them if that's all you have, but we're people. And people tend to make their passwords things that they can remember, which are easy to figure out. Biometrics, which I like, and, and 5G will help that go faster again because of latency, that's going to happen. You're going to log into your system, you know, fingerprint, iris scan, the quality of what you can do and the speed you can do that with on a 5G network gets better. The data you can put into the system to be able to get maybe more measurement factors is higher. It's going to measure the way you walk. What it's going to really do is take all of those factors and really be able to develop what I call a holistic security picture that is really going to make sure you are you and not somebody else. That will greatly improve as we come up with, as the 5G systems get more and more prevalent. You're going to see, and I think it will do away with the passwords. I think finally the day of having to remember the 16-digit, you know, or 16-character, special character, nine capital letters, I think all that will go away. That in itself should have a great increase in value for consumers. We covered a broad range of topics about 5G in this episode. I hope you're as curious about 5G now as I became when I first started studying the subject. We have just begun to scratch the surface of the impact 5G will have. On our next episode, we'll look at the global race to roll out the technology first. The Chinese have already invested billions of dollars in 5G through companies such as Huawei and ZTE. South Korea will launch 5G nationwide in the next six months. The United States has yet to announce its unified plan to roll out 5G. This global race could have serious repercussions on our national security. We'll explore all of that and more in next week's episode. When I was at the White House, I brought in a lot of people and talked to a lot of people that actually build networks for a living. And every single one of them said, not only is China ahead of the United States, they're far ahead of the United States. And so there's two challenges with that. If you can essentially control all of the infrastructure for those networks, then it has, if you wanted to, an enormous capability allows for surveillance. The second piece, because of all these machines that are going to be connected to these networks, it gives you the ability to actually get into those machines and have them do things that may not be what the original owners intended. Thanks for listening. Thank you to my guests, Terry Halverson and Major General Robert Wheeler. You can see the articles, videos, and documents that we relied on in researching this episode on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Westwood One. 
The executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our editor is Robert Borowski. Our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. The music was composed by Joey Salvia. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360 and Westwood One's Tim Sabian and Robert Mathers. Please subscribe to Newt's World on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get entertaining podcasts. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. As you can tell from our first podcast, Newt's World can go almost anywhere and be about almost anything. So I'm really curious. What's your feedback? What would you like to hear more about? What topics really interest you? What do you wish we were answering in terms of questions about the larger world as well as Newt's World? Write me, newt at gingrich360.com, and I look forward very much to getting your advice and your guidance on how Newt's World should evolve. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what Newt's World's all about. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com.